BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. What was time on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak? It is Friday, September 1st, 2023. August is gone. September is here. Man, oh man. All right. Uh, as I do with every uh, bonus interview, I start with a little uh, update of what's in the news today. So if you're listening to this interview a year from now, this is what was in the news today. This story is kind of tangential to the conversation I'm about to have because the conversation I'm about to have with these two distinguished guests who are patiently waiting uh, is about an sort of an absurdist movie that just came out. Or I don't know if it just came out, but I just saw it. Uh, so this absurdist movie. That's I'm just going to tease that. Uh, we are confronted with absurdity all the time in politics. We talk about it all the time in this show. This one is particularly absurd. Uh, it has to deal with uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, and his struggling campaign to be president of the United States. He's running for the Republican nomination. Uh, and it's a headline in the Washington Post, quote, we need 50 million bucks, end of quote, and other takeaways from a pro-DeSantis pack pitch. This Washington Post uh, reporter listened in on as uh, the head of the pro DeSantis PACs was pitching for money in Iowa. They need $50 million. These people have burned through so much money. They've wasted so much money. The utter absurdity of this thing. And let's just go back. Let's just go back and think about this. The Ron DeSantis presidential campaign emerged from a realization on the part of like the smart people. I got that in quote in the Republican Party who realized that Donald Trump was, to put it mildly, a flawed candidate Uh, at the time. This is like so we're looking back almost a year ago or a year and a half ago. Donald Trump uh, had just led what everybody saw and realized was a failed insurrection, an attempted coup to steal the election from Joe Biden. He was unsuccessful. His followers stormed the Capitol, like drove the senators and congressmen uh, into hiding 
t- totally made a spectacle, an embarrassing spectacle of themselves, like we're beating up law enforcement officers, spraying law enforcement officers with all like bear spray. Like the one guy had the hockey stick. I'll never forget the guy with the hockey stick and the insurgency. He's like, he brought a hockey stick. Like to this day, I'm like, what are you doing with a hockey stick? He's whacking a cop over the head with a hockey stick. Like these are the followers of Donald Trump. How do you think Donald Trump could possibly get elected president of the United States? This this is the insurgency that he ignited, that he incited. And so all the powers that be, the smart people in the Republican Party go, oh, yeah, we can't have Donald Trump as our nominee. There's no way America will elect Donald Trump. They already didn't elect him, which is part of the problem because he's denying that he wasn't elected, even though he clearly wasn't, wasn't elected. He was defeated by 7 million votes, even though he cannot bring himself to admit that. So we can't have this loser lead our ticket. We need somebody who has the same demented politics of Donald Trump, so that it will appeal to the MAGA base, but is somehow or other, I don't know what the right word is, refined enough to win over swing voters who aren't going to attack police officers with hockey sticks because they falsely believe that Donald Trump won an election that he lost. This was all right. This is in 2022, right uh, in the November election. They decided Ron DeSantis is our guy. He has political stances that are as demented as Trump's, but he's a little more refined. He could get those swing voters. So they poured millions into Ron DeSantis. They boosted his uh, ego. They made him think like he is the man who's going to go defeat Joe Biden. He's going to be the person the Republican Party is going to rally to. And guess what happened? The Republican Party did not rally to him. MAGA's loyal to Trump. Nobody likes Ron DeSantis. No matter how whacked out and demented his policies are, nobody likes the man. He seems to do worse every day. He drops in the polls. So here they are. They're uh, about to, uh, they're pinning all their hopes on winning in Iowa. They run out of money. So, uh, the people who run the pack that supports DeSantis are on the phone asking for $50 million. Uh, and they're lamenting the fact that Donald Trump gets what they called earned media coverage. And earned media coverage uh, means uh, that it's the coverage that you get from – that's free. That it, it doesn't cost you money because it's like people like me, a podcaster, talking about Donald Trump. The New York Times writing about Donald Trump. Uh, and um, so they're obsessed with the amount of earned media attention Donald Trump gets. And they believe if they can only get more earned media attention, it'll revive their campaign, which is so freaking delusional. Guys, nobody likes Ron DeSantis. I'll repeat that. He's he's more unlikable than Donald Trump. And Donald Trump led an insurrection against this country. Anyway, they obsessively attract earned media attention. Uh, and they pointed out that Wednesday was only the second day since DeSantis' campaign launch uh, when the Florida governor, quote-unquote, won in terms of earned media attention over Trump. That was because Hurricane Adalia made landfall in Florida, according to a person familiar with the numbers who spoke on the condition of anonymity to share private data. Man, that shows you how insane this is. That's as absurd as the movie we're about to talk about. The guy won because a hurricane hit his state. Oh, this is good for the campaign. 
<laughs> this hurricane battered our state. There's hundreds of peoples without homes, millions and millions of dollars worth of property lost, people dead, people missing. But it's good for Ron DeSantis in the campaign. This is earned media. And then he uses that as his pitch. Guys, this give money to us. We got earned media. And now give us money. Unearned media. World is insane, ladies and gentlemen. The world is insane that this guy thinks he has a chance. His only chance, of course, uh, is if Donald Trump does decides not to run or if, believe it or not, it's a possibility the courts rule that Don, Donald Trump is ineligible because his candidacy violates the 14th Amendment. All right, enough on that. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guests who have been patiently waiting to step forwards from the shadows uh, and introduce themselves. We're going to have a discussion. And so I am going to ask distinguished guests whose first name begins with the letter E, though it's pronounced with the letter A, to introduce himself. What's cracking, Ben? My name's Aton Bachlin. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And I think, actually, what if I introduce the, my, my, my co-guest, kind of breaking the form? What do you think? Oh, my mind is blown in that one. Wait a minute. We have a format we must follow. No, go ahead. Introduce our second guest. Our second guest. Well, Ben, you know him. You love him. So do I. He's hails from Chicago as well, just like you. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to the Honorable Liam Klinkenberg. Liam, how are you? Greetings, everybody. Hello, all listeners. Hello, uh, people. Ben, (laughs) Aton. It's a pleasure. Yes. Uh, so Liam and, and Aton uh, are, well, Aton's the director. Liam's the star of a um, movie the, that I watched about a week ago and fell in love with. We have a, we have a correction, oh, Ben. We're, 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 we're wrong. We're, we're, already. I got the name right. Co-directors. Oh, let me edit that one out. <laughs> There's the edit. Uh, Aton and Liam are co-directors of a movie uh, that I really enjoy. Uh, Liam is the star of it. Uh, and uh, it's called Hoop Dreams 2. Uh, and I'm smiling as I say this. I'm urging everybody to go watch this movie. Uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, too. I think it's about 10 minutes long, so you could just watch it as, as soon as you're done listening to this conversation. Uh, I guess it's a parody of Hoop Dreams 1, which is not actually Hoop Dreams 1. It's just Hoop Dreams. Uh, so the great, uh, documentary, uh, by Steve James, dear friend of the show, uh, that came out in the nineties and should have won an Academy, more Academy award, but didn't, that tells the story of two basketball players from the city of Chicago, uh, Arthur Agee and William Gates and, uh, their attempt to achieve their basketball dream, uh, by making it to the NBA and they don't, um, make it to the NBA anyway. Uh, so, uh, a time we'll start with you. Uh, is this movie effectively a parody of Hoop Dreams? Hoop Dreams, or did you just say we're just going to steal the name in the hopes that it gets attention? <laughs> uh, I would say that it. I wouldn't call. I would say neither. We def. I don't. I wouldn't call it a parody of Hoop Dreams, and I don't think we were trying to cravenly. Uh, benefit from steve james's masterpiece i think liam came in with this i he was we had this day job basically where we worked in this kind of like 
middle middleman financial office and we had our own room in the back we were both we started off as temps and they made us full time and we didn't really have any work to do so we had this kind of purgatory room where we'd hang out all day long for work and kind of over a period of time Liam would come in later than me cuz his time management is worse and he would he would come in and he would be like kind of every day he was like chipping away at this idea about you know him being a you know a failed basketball kind of mockumentary and eventually he was like I got an, a funny title which is hoop dreams too just the joke of kind of putting our movie in conversation with with hoop dreams which is like one of the greatest documentaries of all time and extremely kind of grounded like serious revelatory story wouldn't it be funny if our movie which is so stupid was like just even the idea that it would be the sequel to that was just i think i don't know what what you think liam but like more or less like just another joke and a funny framework for the movie yeah i would say i would say i agree i do think it was a a funny title that was the inspiration and then pretty soon after i was excited at the idea of uh hey maybe we'll get sued for this we'll get some notoriety like it's it would be exciting a little bit (laughs) so but yeah no i love the original hoop dreams i was a huge fan of it and i think at the time when we started to work on it i had been i'd gone through a breakup and sort of poured a lot of my excess energy into watching basketball so i was watching like a couple games a night and I was living with my brother at the time. And he was like, oh, I don't know how Liam's doing. I think Aton probably was like, oh, I don't know how Liam's doing. And I, I mean, at that time I was, I was really obsessed. I went to the NBA draft. I saw Deandre Aiden get drafted. <laughs> um, but I remember coming in and telling Aton, Aton immediately being like, that's a great idea. You should do it. And I was sort of like, I don't know what the form is going to be. And I was at a party talking to a friend of the boyfriend of a friend. And he tells me that he's a documentary uh, cinematographer. And I was like, that's amazing. I'm working on this like mockumentary idea. Do you think you could um, give me some feedback on how to like write for documentary specifically? And he said, well, what's the idea? And I told him and I told him the title and he was like, I'm in, I'll shoot it. And he's, his name is Michael Cromit. He's a director of his own. He's a very established documentary DP. And he agreed to do our dumb idea for no reason, which is why it is so effective as uh, appearing as a real documentary. And to relate to what you said earlier about the insurrection, Michael was there filming and did a documentary on the Trump family. So about a year after he filmed our stupid short film, he was interviewing the president of the United States on the same camera. And we found this. It's uh, it's so lucky to have to, a real guy to work with. Like that. He's the he's the best. But that was really what set it in motion, because once he agreed, it was like, all right, I got to do it. And that was how it, that was how we got to shooting it. Yeah. 
Well, to quote Johnny Carson, I did not know that. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're off. I'm going to get the number of that guy and bring him on to talk about his Trump documentary. He's a great guy. He, uh, we would love, he um, would... It's called it's called Unprecedented. It's on Discovery Plus. It's like he's like this crew was like in the White House during the insurrection. And they. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know that. You know that, Doc? No, their footage was used in the uh, congressional. I can't believe I stumbled on yeah, that. It's crazy. <laughs> he's, he's a genius, this guy. I. Yeah, no, it's yeah. This is a total side tangent. We should, let's get back to your movie, but I wrote it. Wrote it. I'm gonna bug you for the oh, next. Yeah, bring absolutely. Him on the show. Yeah. So the, okay. So, so let me just set this up for you. Okay. I don't know if everyone will find it as funny as I did. So I'm gonna put that out there. I always, I always feel compelled to have this waiver. Uh, I whenever I endorse anything, a book or a movie that or a TV show, I just feel compelled to make the listeners sign waivers. Uh, promising not to hold it against me if they like it and don't if they watch it and don't like it uh this goes because my tastes are just my tastes and so in general uh i feel like all right you know what i don't want to hear the complaining you watched it they didn't really like it ben I, nobody cares okay i don't care if you didn't like it right sign the waiver uh but so you're right it's a parody of a documentary not a parody of specifically hoop dreams, but everything about it, like the earnestness of the that the way in which Liam is so earnest, and as he looks into the camera and speaks from his heart, and 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 like the opening line, Liam, we got to get into this. Just had me the opening line made me laugh, uh, and I'm doing this from memory, but it was like growing up, my favorite player was Gilbert Arenas, and like who, <laughs> and then and then he goes. Uh, and I also like James Harden. Uh, and then I also like Le- LeBron James. Why don't you just name all the players in the NBA? You know what I'm saying? It was like three stars. Like, there's nothing unique about what, like any of them. You know what I mean? Like, like there's something unique about. Uh, <laughs> Gilbert, 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 Gilbert brought a gun to the locker room. Yeah, Gilbert yeah. brought a gun to the locker room. Gilbert Arenas, ladies and gentlemen, just Google him. Uh, <laughs> and that's your favorite. Is he really your favorite player, Liam, growing up with Gilbert Arenas? He is the one out of those three who was actually, me and my little brother were huge fans of Gilbert Arenas. We used to copy his free throw routine. Uh, he was he used to have a blog. We used to be obsessed with his blog, the Agent Zero. Yeah, uh, I, I was a big Gilbert Arenas fan, and it was uh, uh, fun to put him in the movie. Then the other two were just improvised. <laughs> yeah, Gilbert Arenas, by the way, has his own podcast, which is pretty good. So I hope I hope you guys get on the Gilbert Arenas. Uh, this gets you a a booking on the Gilbert Arenas. But anyway, it's a so it's that parody, that serious, the self like self obsessed, self absorbed quality of documentaries. Uh, and this character Liam, I don't know how close he is to who you are, uh, Liam. Uh, is this horrifically bad basketball player who has a dream of being in the NBA and the, the, the background shots while he's talking, yeah, my dream has always been in the NBA or him missing a shot, missing a dunk, trying to dunk, not dunking shoot. Was it a shot? The ball stuck to the perfect. Yeah. Perfectly wedged, wedged in the rim. Yes, the ball's wedged yeah. in the backboard. Go ahead, uh, Aton. I was going to say, I've seen a lot of stuff, a lot of comedy with people being bad at basketball. I've never seen, besides ours, I've never seen a ball, someone throw the ball directly into the, <laughs> into the corn, the intersection of the rim and the backboard and get it stuck before. that. When I saw that, I was like, 
that's a new that's a new joke. I haven't seen that before. Was so that actually happened? That, that you didn't just like stick the ball in the basket no, and just film it. You see it in the. Nah, he, you can see. He, you know, he drives <laughs> him and throws it, and he and he and he he genuinely got it stuck in there. <laughs> oh my god! And then it goes from there. Uh, his agent. There's an. Everything <laughs> is more preposterous than the other. Uh, like that. The woman who plays the coach. Yeah, Rachel Colley. Yeah, she's very funny, by the way. Uh, so it's it's definitely uh, worth watching. Uh, Aton explained uh, to people how they can watch it, so uh, they can see. Is go ahead. It's on Vimeo, so it's Hoop Dreams Two on Vimeo. If you go on my Instagram, Aton Bachlin, or Liam's Instagram, Liam Klinkenberg, or uh, right now, or Hoop Dreams Two on Instagram. Um, all of those Instagrams also like link to the Vimeo page, and you could also like if you want to just watch it on Instagram, like you know, without navigating through, you can do it on on those Instagrams as well. Uh, so at the risk of sounding like a documentary, uh, why don't you explain the, the difference between uh, Hoop Dreams? I I mentioned this to you before we went on the air. Hoop Dreams, literally the movie Hoop Dreams, uh, and then the concept of having Hoop Dreams. Go ahead. Um, I think that the documentary Hoop Dreams is like really an in-depth exploration of that like concept of like everybody i think when they're a kid or at least at least i did wanted to be a basketball player and thought it was just so cool and think it's like uh i just thought it was cool but if you watch the documentary that's a different lifestyle than mine where hoop dreams aren't just like oh i love playing basketball it's like the way to get out so it's a way to get your family supported and watching that documentary, which I feel like everybody should watch. It's four years of high school of two different people, one at a Catholic high school in the suburbs and one in an inner city high school, both having similar hoop dreams. But I think that what makes it like for ours, the document, the mockumentary of it is that like, I don't have any of those real, struggles i'm also not a young person i'm not a teenager i'm 25 years old when i'm undergoing this journey and i have an endless supply of capital from a a construction lawsuit so it's really trying to take that dumb of an idea as seriously as those people and trying to have a similar like single-mindedness towards the same goal but the circumstances are completely different and i think yeah it's i would say watch both guys watch hoop dreams this is an incredible documentary but hoop dreams too we you know we try to take it as seriously as that but with uh comedy yeah uh here's the uh one of the quotes uh i i did this on the uh really quickly so i probably butchered this quote but this is a quote from uh hoop dreams too 
which by the way is just so funny like hoop, like <laughs> i'm sorry guys it makes me laugh every time a hoop dreams like you got like you're steve james you know and now you're making hoop dreams too there's like everything is a two so like there was jaws one jaws two this has nothing to do with hoop dreams these guys are not steve james i did send the movie to steve james uh and he watched it, the director of Hoop Dreams, and he said it was you guys are pretty the movie was pretty twisted. So <laughs> you sure to have his endorsement, I guess. <laughs> it's gonna be the pull quote for Hoop I was gonna ask you if you uh you know, because that was if you got a sense of, you know, was what was his what was his kind of uh like mindset or attitude towards it? Okay, well, let me put it in the context and do a plug for Steve James. Uh, he has just come out with a movie, another documentary called A Compassionate Spy. And I urge everybody to watch that movie. And if you don't like it, well, you can kiss my beep because it's a great flick. Uh, and you can kiss my beep if you don't like Hoop Dreams too, as well. All right. So I'm sick of apologizing for what I like. All right. Um, it's like a therapy session for me. So. Uh, I did, it was in the context of, of uh, bringing him on the show to talk about A Compassionate Spy, which is a movie about uh, Ted Hall, who gave away secrets of the atomic bomb uh, to the Soviets. And, uh, you know, it's completely overshadowed by Oppenheimer, as you might all expect. But in some ways, it's a better movie than Oppenheimer there. Yeah, I said that. So it was in the context of bringing him on to talk about his Compassionate Spy that I said, oh, by the way, um, I've, <laughs> I watched this movie called Hoop Dreams 2. Here, what do you think of it? Uh, and I thought, like, maybe he would be outraged. I'm outraged. Uh, they stole my idea. Uh, and then, you know, you get a cease and desist letter, like Eminem sent, had his lawyer send a cease and desist letter to Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, the Republican candidate. But, but no, I don't think you're going to get a cease and desist letter from Steve James. I think on probably one level, uh, he was pleased that uh, Hoop Dreams still lives. You know what I'm saying? Like, here it's been over... Oh, it's 30 years, guys. Damn, man. Sunrise, sunset. Uh, and uh, it's been 30 years since the original Hoop Dreams came out. And so here are these guys probably weren't even born, Liam or Eitan, when Hoop Dreams came out. You definitely weren't born when he was filming it. It came out the year we were born, I believe, 94, right? I think that's when it was up for an Oscar. Uh, I'm doing this off of memory and memory. It's a dangerous thing. So I think it may have come out in actually the end of 93, but my 93, 94, what's the difference? The point is, yes, uh, you are at best an infant. Uh, and so there's no way you would have known about it. So I think, I think on one level, he got a, a kick that hoop dreams is the movie has just entered the consciousness of people and, uh, is still remembered that way. Uh, but anyway, everybody go watch after you watch after, after you watch hoop dreams, uh, to go watch compassionate spy. Uh, so it, that's the context of which, what he uh, said, but here's the quote. I live in a space between logic and basketball. The future's bright. That's all I can say. I, I don't know if that was scripted or, uh, Liam, it was just something that popped out of your brain at the time. But it's the thing you say upon reflecting at your horrific, <laughs> your horrific basketball career and your utter failure to achieve your dream. And you're trying to search for something positive to say. Uh, is there anything? Act. I mean, like, is this just jargon, or is there something real about living in a space between logic and basketball? Go ahead. 
Um, it is absolutely unequivocal jargon, I would say. It is a person who is supposed to be lost in their own sauce, sort of, who is just on the edge of losing their mind at the, at the point that I'm giving that speech. I'm playing basketball. I'm playing air basketball. I'm like talking about it's it's I live I, I live in the space between logic and emotion and basketball. And I think it just it was improvised. And I think we were looking for that type of emotional wrap up from this character. And I was wearing sunglasses. So the future's bright. You know, it goes with that. But yeah, no, it was it, I think trying to use ideas and lines that we had sort of like talked about but it's mostly just like this person trying tr their idea of what a person should say in a documentary you know like trying to be deep and trying to give a wrap-up for a documentary is was the was this a scripted mockumentary or was are, are all these scenes improvised i'd say there was a few scripted jokes but mostly improvised right yeah, we had like kind of an out not even an outline is is more written than it sounds. We like knew the the points of the story. We knew Liam was going to, you know, spoiler. We knew Liam was going to punt his basketball into the ocean. We knew we knew that all the characters, we knew their kind of point of view and like on Liam, like the way that coach is really insane and hard on him and the way that his agent maybe more believes in it and all this we knew all those things so we cast comedians and actors who were really close friends with who we were like we know how they're funny and we were like this is a, this is a great vehicle for you to do your thing and how it makes sense so it would be like you know we would we shot for like you know half a day with the coach and we were like this is your kind of attitude to we came in we had ideas for like drills they would run and all this stuff we had an idea for her to chase him with a stick, which gets in the movie. But it was like, you know, a lot of those like kind of line by line stuff. It was really heavily improvised. And it wasn't um, it wasn't like, here's the script and then improvise off of that. It was like, here are kind of the tools and the 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 frameworks, but then we're gonna really improvise and we're gonna let you go for a long time and stuff like that. The the actress you have playing uh the analyst who's breaking down that is so funny. Oh my God. She's, she's doing a statistical analysis of Liam's game. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> and then Liam's pushing back. I, yeah. That was just really funny, man. Yeah. Look, that's, uh, that's Ava Victor. Ava Victor is, uh, my, who you can see on billions. Yes. On the TV show billions across Paul Giamatti. Um, but yeah, Ava, so funny. Uh, Natalie Robin Lehman played my agent. And yeah, we like had all these ideas for these people, but I knew those people could improvise. And oh, also my brother, my actual brother plays my brother in the movie. He is not an actor, in fact, hates acting, but I knew that it would add so much and to have him be there and make it look like realistic, like a documentary. And I also knew that he could nail the attitude of being sick of his little brother's shit. <laughs> and yeah, so so the casting kind of was informed by that. And then, yeah, like 
we we had some written jokes like a couple like the you had to do the the powerpoint for our analysts so we knew that like we were going to put in some of those jokes like but for the most part it was like we know the spirit and we know the parody that we're doing so like i had come in to tell michael and aton like michael has shot espn documentaries before so i was like literally shoot it like a 30 for 30. Like that's what we're going to go for. And at the time there was these uh, sort of these off season documentaries for the NBA that are boring as hell. They're like Paul George had one. I think maybe Dwayne Wade had one. And they're just sort of this like weird, like keeping the player in the public consciousness over the summer while they, and they're very kind of vapid and not that interesting. And then, that was one of the things that I was like, it's really funny to do like an off season for a player that is not an actual player. And so that is like sort of one of the, one of the inspirations for it. You know, and it, it, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, because the real hoop dreams, the Steve James hoop dreams uh, has inspired so many different documentaries. It's, it's become a cliche. And um, and now players themselves are getting into the business. And so they're doing documentaries about themselves, uh, which they're going to completely control their image to be as positive to themselves as they possibly can be. Uh, and so the real hoop dreams, the one that began it all, the Steve James hoop dreams, it, like you, it's warts and all. I mean, what Arthur Agee and William Gates and their family go through are, are harrowing uh, and embarrassing and in some ways humiliating. And that's what makes it so powerful. It's real. But then when you get to a, 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 a quote unquote documentary, Liam, to your point, that's made by the subject of the documentary, it becomes idolatry. It's it's like but Tyler, what's the guy that. Uh, overrated shooting guard on Miami Heat hero, Harrow, how he pronounces his name, you know, the mm-hmm. overrated one. Tyler, Tyler uh, Hero. Miami thinks they can, yep. yeah, yeah, that guy. The one in Miami thinks that anybody will trade anybody for, that guy, you know, oh yeah, we'll give you Harrow for Damian Lillard. What? 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 Anyway, I couldn't so agree I more. Go there. He did a documentary. <laughs> oh, did you know that? He did one? It's like, no, I woke up early and I started it, lifting. And it's like, <laughs> Oh my God! Like, come on, man. Uh, but so yeah, there's a lot. By the way, all right, Steve James, another promo for you. Uh, have you guys seen his ESPN documentary on the basketball player Bill Walton? It's on oh. the list. I would love to. Oh. Well, run, don't walk. Okay, guys. Uh, yeah, Bill Walton. It's an excellent documentary. Uh, so, Steve, you're getting two plugs in one show. Um, so, uh, Aton explained there's going to Hoop Dreams 2 was so successful uh, and so widely praised that uh, you decided to come out with a sequel. I'm not making this up, folks. This is not a joke. They're actually doing a sequel to Hoop, Hoop Dreams 2, which you would, they, a title would lead you to believe is a sequel to Hoop Dreams 1, even though one more time, it has nothing to do with Hoop Dreams 1. Uh, so, tell us the, what the sequel's about, the title, etc. Aton, take it away. You know, once you're in like once you're doing a joke of sequels, like it's like, okay, well, you know, it would be funny to do a sequel to the sequel. And 
it's to me, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, Liam, but to me, it's also funny of how it's like, you know, it's just like it, all these movies that are coming out, there's it's like reboot culture. There's everything's a reboot, everything's everything's a sequel, whatever. So it's also kind of funny, I think, to like our little short film to like apply that same logic to it. But so the the title of the sequel that is coming out soon is called Hoop Dreams 3D, which follows Liam after the experience of being in Hoop Dreams 2, the experience of being on camera, led him to kind of realize that actually his new dream is to be an actor, is to be on camera. And so kind of the joke of uh, like calling it 3D, which we get into a little bit in the movie, but just like for us, it's like, well, 3D is kind of like a movie acting thing and he wants to be an actor now. Kind of similar to like the paper thin connection from Hoop Dreams 1 to Hoop Dreams 2, kind of keeping that alive. And so the movie follows like I, I unlike in Hoop Dreams 2 where it's really just like Liam's the only, it's really about Liam. I am like on camera in this one and I play the director of Hoop Dreams 2 who is kind of coming back and like wants to insert himself a little bit more kind of like a Louis Thoreau doc where he's like, I'm going to be on camera and I want to, you know, um, wrestle a little bit of control on this one. So um, it's like got a lot of the similar elements of like Liam pursuing this thing that spoiler, he's not amazing at. And also just kind of power struggle between these two guys. Uh, and uh, Liam, by the way, uh, are you actually a good basketball player? No, I'm passable. Like I can, I would say that my game is uh, I'm an energy guy without being in shape. So it's not really that good because I should be playing like hard on defense and hustling and I get like gassed. But on my day, I could play good defense. I got long arms, a willing passer, but I can't shoot for shit. Did you play high school basketball or in your high school team? Hell no. No, I, uh, okay. I, I tried out. I did not make it. Uh, <laughs> it. I was in the same conference as St. Joe's, so I would I would have played William Gates as a alma mater, but no, I never made a team. I played soccer and tennis. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I love tennis. Not much of a fan of soccer. Uh, all right, we're gonna close. Oh, by the way, one last thing I got to say, I love about Hoop Dreams uh, too, and then we'll move on. The the narrator has a British accent, which I don't know. It <laughs> just cracks me up. I guess you thought that made it more documentary-ish. Um, so Liam is practicing his basketball. <laughs> this guy was a British. It's not. I don't even know if it was a legit British accent, a cheesy imitation of a British accent or whatever. But I'm just every time I hear that British accent, it cracks me up. That's pretty thrilling to hear because I did the voice. So I did the British accent. Uh, I used to live in England, so I think it's a pretty passable one, but it is literally like this subject, the documentary subject would want a British, like he would want an authority, like he would want a narrator to narrate it and thinks like Brit, they should be British, right? That's like going to make it like more legit. So we're going to close with this, uh, this curveball I'm going to throw at you. Uh, I could talk about comedy movies forever. Uh, I'm a possessive uh, personality, as you may have picked up in just a brief time you've noticed me, known me, uh, and I'm particularly obsessive about comedy. Uh, and I think on Saturday night, 
Oh, no, we're going to a wedding, so I can't even do a Saturday night. Oh, well. Uh, but I was going to watch a comedy. So maybe Monday night I will watch a comedy. So uh, Liam and Eitan, what comedy, not made by you, would you just say, oh, you absolutely have to watch that it has stood the test of time. I may have seen it when I was 10 or I may have seen it when I was 15 or what have you, but it's still a great comedy and worth watching. And we'll start with Aton and then Liam will get to na- uh, name his comedy. Go. So it's funny you asked this. I was just talking about this last night with a friend of mine. So, you know, let me throw a couple at you. So. The first movie that I was talking about last night. Have you ever seen The Other Guys? The Other Guys? Is that the one with Wahlberg yeah, and Mark uh, Wahlberg, Will Ferrell? Ferrell. I've seen it three that. times. <laughs> that, I was just talking about that movie yesterday because when I was like when I was in high school, I was like, this is my favorite comedy movie. And then my girlfriend had never seen it. And during COVID, I was like, you know what? I haven't seen it in so long. Let's watch it and see how it holds up. And especially the first half of that movie, that shit is so funny. And it is like it is really good. And then the second half is interesting also because it's kind of like, um, you know, you can kind of track it in terms of McKay going more kind of explicitly political and like kind of, you know, from Talladega Nights, something like this. And then you can see how he gets like the big shore and stuff. And the second half of that, the story is, it, you know, it's kind of about fin- white collar financial crime and it gets in the weeds and it's interesting. And then also I was thinking about this movie. Have you ever seen Four Lions? No, four. What's it? Did you say four line? L i n e s. L i o n s. It is. Oh, four lions. Yeah. yeah. It's by this guy Chris Morris, who is a genius. He's like this British comedian and and writer and director, and it is about uh, like a group of four aspiring terrorists in London who are bad at being terrorists. <laughs> Why do I think that's funny? It's really, uh, it's really good. It's like it it's is incredible. Talk about time. It's like that is like primo gold standard stuff. Where we want, yeah, we watched it. I mean, we both just really love that guy and like all the work that he's done. Like he did all this amazing British TV stuff too. But he's just like he's he's amazing, and and it, that is like seminal. So those would be my two picks. If if you want me to keep going, but I want to let Liam. I don't want to take all the good titles. We'll we'll, we'll let uh, Liam do it. But I'll just say this: I saw just saw an interview uh, Kevin Hart did with one of the basketball shows. I obsessively watch basketball shows. I am really a cry for help here. Uh, and he said the funniest man in the world is Will Ferrell. So there you have it. He's a funny man. Uh, all right, Liam, go ahead. Your movies. Okay, so. Just because you said Kevin Hart, I do have to plug, watch his, because uh, this relates to all of what we we're talking about with self-produced documentary. He has one of the most unintentionally funny Netflix series I've ever seen, which is a documentary about his own journey. And it is, talk about not knowing what you're giving off while you're doing it. And it's like he's trying to be an inspirational guy and just sort of you see him treat his team <laughs> uh, horribly. You see him ignore advice. He he really paints himself in quite a bad light in a way that I don't think he knows. And I, I was obsessed with that. I was making everybody in my life watch him because I was like, this is so funny. So that's that's one plug. I would say for comedy movie. 
I've been saying this since I saw it in high school. My favorite comedy. Have you seen Black Dynamite? Oh yeah, Black. I did that. Uh, when did that come out? God damn, it's been a while. Uh, I, I saw it when it first came out. And that's uh, it's a black exploitation parody movie that is just so hyper committed in every aspect of the filmmaking that it there's jokes coming from what's on the screen, what's actually being said, production jokes like a boom will come into frame or people will say the line and read the stage direction as they're doing the line. And it's also just, yeah, it's just unbelievably funny. Yeah, it's it's the one that I recommend to everybody, especially like, I mean... The the chicken and waffle scene, I would say, look it look it up. It's un- uh, unbelievable, but yeah, man, it's I I love that movie, and that's like a tiny weird movie to like as your favorite comedy. But I would say I like the ones Aton mentioned. Those are both like probably they're up there in my top ten of, and this is probably why we work well together. We both have uh, impeccable taste. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I uh, I wrote down Four Lions. I will watch that next. I have not seen that. And uh, I could watch uh, comedies again and again. I just, A Booty Call, I don't know if you've seen that one. That I put my list. I always tell people to watch it. And then I always I've seen Booty Call. Yeah, Booty Call is so funny to me. And then people are like, Ben, I didn't really like it. And then what am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like, Ben, I didn't really like it. Oh, nobody cares what you think anyway. Um <laughs> So, uh, all right, you've seen Booty Call, so... It's subjective. To... Yeah, it is very subjective. Uh, and, and for all I know, none of you will like Hoop Dreams, too, okay? Nah, I thought like it was it. hilarious. Yeah, I was thinking about like this it. yesterday, about comedy being subjective, and obviously it's true, but I also do... I mean, this is just because I'm arrogant, I guess, but I'm like, yeah, but it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of objective. <laughs> I'm like, like, if someone was like, I don't think it's funny, I'd be like, well, you can... Let's lay, the, let's lay out what happened. That's funny. You can't argue that's not funny. <laughs> I just saw the other guys again, and I, at least I saw the first like hour of it. It's, it I just found it so funny. It, maybe it's just because Will Ferrell is just makes me laugh. You know what I mean? Like, and and Wahlberg is such a good straight man playing off of him. But that is objectively a funny comment. Liam, you had one more comment, and we're going to close it down. Go ahead. I was going to say, my mom says that um, she doesn't like it when people try to make her laugh. So. There are some people who aren't fans of comedy, and that is okay with me. I'm not going to try to win them over, but I agree with Aton that like sometimes funny is funny, you know? Wow, your mom doesn't like it when people try to make her laugh. I'm going to have to think about that one all day. <laughs> yeah, that's one for the- <laughs> what a philosophy <laughs> to go through this. I am not going to laugh no matter how much you try. Uh, <laughs> you can try all you want. Guys making fart jokes and stuff. All right, very good. Uh, Liam and Aton, outstanding job. Congratulations. Can't wait to see Hoop Dreams 3D. Uh, and I urge everybody uh, to watch Hoop Dreams 2. And if you don't like it, just keep your thoughts to yourself. All right. Thank you both very much for being on the show. Thanks for having us, Ben. Of course. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, very good. Uh, Liam and Aton, thank you very much. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.